Hello and welcome to the FreightVine podcast, your source for all things freight transportation. I'm Chris Kaplis, Chief Scientist at DAT Freight and Analytics, and today I'm joined by Rob Kelly, SVP of Business Development for Foreign Mobility. Foreign Mobility provides accessible zero-emission trucking solutions for drayage in California. Their services range from building and operating charging infrastructure to offering Class 8 zero-emission electric trucks. They're currently developing a network of charging depots around the Oakland and LA Long Beach ports, along with common trucking routes leading to warehouse destinations. Rob joined Ford Mobility about two years ago, where he comes from having a long career in the clean energy space. This includes 10 years with Silver City and then with Tesla when they acquired it in 2016. In our conversation, we discussed the current regulatory situation in California, challenges and opportunities to electrifying truck fleets, and what the industry might look like in five to 10 years in the future. This is an important discussion for anyone who has freight coming in from California ports, which, to be honest, is pretty much everyone. And as we all know, what is happening in California today usually finds its way to other states and sometimes federally in the future. So it's really important to keep your eyes on what's happening. Following my conversation with Rob, I'll discuss the truckload market update. So let's get started. Before we start the conversation, let me update you all on some upcoming events for both DAT and myself. Starting on 5 to 7 February, DAT will be at Manifest in Las Vegas. I'll be on a panel with a great group of shippers discussing the future of transportation procurement, and DAT will have a booth, number 1315, for you to visit and chat with us. On March 5th, I'll be moderating a different yet still very great panel of shippers on the same topic of transportation procurement at the annual Food Shippers of America conference in Orlando. If you are attending either of these shows, please let me know and we can connect. Okay, on with the rest of the podcast. Hi, Rob. Welcome to the Freight Fine Podcast. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by the industry that you're in. The electrification of vehicles, especially trucks, fascinates me to see where does it make sense? Where does it not make sense? How fast is it going to go? So let's start talking about your company, Form Mobility. Tell us a little background. What does it do? How was it formed? Give us give us the history. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, we're, we're similarly fascinated by it and why we were so uh, involved at this point. So Form Mobility is about a two-year-old company. Um, I was already in the electrification and transportation world working for a company called AmpliPower. At the time that I met these guys, Ampli eventually got bought by BP. They're called BP Pulse now, um, but were introduced by friends of friends who recognized what California was doing uh, with a big concentration on lowering emissions and heavy-duty trucking and knew that their skill set as energy developers were going to be needed in this marketplace. And so it kind of started picking my brain, understanding what was going on in the market. I'd been in it for a couple of years already. And through that relationship, I eventually moved over to work for them. And we developed Forum Mobility, which is concentrating on the heavy duty trucking space and building a network of charging depots to meet the duty cycle of those heavy duty trucks, especially in the drayage market. So let me just make sure I understand. We're all within California at this point. That's right. And the regulation seems to be focused on drayage. It seems to be that's the, the biggest. And this is all class seven, class eight trucks mainly? Yeah. I mean, there's there's two big things pushing this, and it's advanced clean fleet 
an advanced clean truck. Uh, so advanced clean truck is an agreement with the truck OEMs that they need to build more electric trucks, sell more electric trucks into the California market. It, it, it actually begins right now, January, 2024, and it will snap up until 2036 when they will only be selling zero emission vehicles. So that's a, that's a huge driver to the market. And that advanced clean fleet is the larger fleets and their requirements to adopt these trucks over a similar time frame with a step up until their zero emissions. So what does Form Mobility do? You don't actually own any assets, right? You own the underlying charging facilities? How, how does that work? So we do both, Chris. So we're actually, we have one customer right now where we've cut our teeth and, and developed a great understanding of this market and the equipment that goes into it. And we built these charging depot at his site. It's called Height Logistics in Long Beach. We're putting in our fifth and sixth charger there right now, but have four operating chargers. So we own, operate, and maintain those chargers at his site. And for him, we actually did also purchase the truck assets and own those as well. And we're leasing them back to Height. So we're actually the owner of all that equipment and leasing the trucks back to Height and then delivering charging services to Height. And we'll have that same model for the depots that we develop. Through that experience, we kind of learned that we're not going to be able to grow fast enough one customer at a time. So now we're building a network of depots, kind of your shells and Chevron of the future. So, in, and the ones that you developed for, for Height, is that at one specific port or is that at multiple ports? He services both San Pedro Bay ports, so both Port of LA and Port of Long Beach, and they're on his property. That's a difficult thing to do. You're going to find a lot of people developing chargers at their own site, but you need a long lease in order to spend that money on the equipment. You need an owner that's willing and your property needs to be on a location on the distribution system that allows you to do so, that that the utility can bring the power to that site. So he's a, he was a diamond in the rough that allowed us to get these trucks up and running and chargers and really kind of get a better understanding of this. So um, your customer then is probably at, the, at this stage of the company, still a new company, still growing is 3PLs and carriers that would is this the model you want to go forward with or do you want to have a different model as you go to, and bring in other customers no you're exactly right we're looking at carriers 3PLs and large fleets so if if you're an asset based company are you're going to find usefulness in our network of charging depots and and your main focus is on the heavy haul the class 7 class 8s not the last mile like sprinter vans or those kind of things for Delivery, direct store delivery. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we we definitely rolled out our business model, concentrating on the heavy duty trucking space. We are finding that with our depots that aren't located inside the port, there's a lot of interest in last mile and other classes of vehicles that would like to use our depots. So we're being a little bit flexible, but the way we're engineering and designing these depots is definitely concentrating on those class seven and eight trucks. No, I'm. I don't have an EV. I have a 10-year-old pickup truck and, uh, you know, a Toyota. But um, I know for EVs, for, for cars, most of the uh, manufacturers have developed and adopted the Tesla charging standard. What is the charging standard? Is it standard across the larger vehicles or is it, does that differ by manufacturer? Yeah, outside of Tesla, CCS 
is the adopted standard by all. It is changing. They're going to develop what's going to be called the North American Charging Standard, NACS. And truth be told, that's really kind of Tesla is what they're modeling it after. Okay. So you'll have adapters for other types of sure. uh, connectors so that you can use just any charger with this NACS. And, and so do you envision five years from now, 10 years from now, there being every fleet has its own charging, they charge within the fleet to include our operators, or do you see it more like it is now with the gas stations, fueling stations where multiples go to that, where you have large charging stations? Which do you, which which model do you think is going to happen, or is it a hybrid? It's going to be both. Yeah. I mean, everybody, listen, if I was able to put some chargers at my site, at my distribution center, at my warehouse, I would do that. But you're not going to be able to develop enough to accommodate your whole fleet at that site. We have restraints on the distribution system that don't just allow you to say, yeah, all 100 trucks are going to run from my warehouse. So they're gonna, you're going to need a combination of what we're developing, which is kind of a network of these depots serving anywhere from 40 to 100 trucks at a time. But it's also going to be nice to have a handful of chargers where if you're offloading a container at your yard, you could get a quick charge. Yeah. So there have been some uh, recent articles and um, reports, especially from like ATRI, the American Transportation Research Institute, which is part of the um, uh, um, American uh, Trucking Associations, um, where they're a little critical of it, of, of, of not just California, but of national adoption of these rates, where they're saying the Cal there isn't sufficient, uh, the network, um, the grid in California especially, is not ready for it, and, and those kind of things. What, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think it's ready for it? Does it need to be a slower roll? Yeah, it's definitely one of the things we're concentrating on significantly on the policy and government affairs side is helping the utilities develop the grid in a way that it can accommodate this. But there is low-hanging fruit. It isn't something that needs to slow anything down. I mean, the time is really now, and that's that's the superpowers of forum mobility is a bunch of energy developers is, you know, we can speak utility. We understand the distribution system. We can locate these depots in areas on the distribution system where there is available power today. And I think the grid's getting smarter every single day. You know, I, I remember what, 10, 12 years ago, we were having rolling brownouts in California all the time. And they said they were going to take San Onofre, a big nuclear plant offline. And everybody was like, ah, we're going to have blackouts every day. And sure enough, the grid got smarter. We changed some light bulbs, some more efficient light bulbs, and uh, we're not having those issues. So I think you're going to see the same thing as the grid develops, but you're right. One of the pinch points right now is the grid and being able to have the capacity to put right. as many trucks as there are on the road today to convert them. But we're looking at a slow rollout over the next 12 years, and I think we're going to be able to accommodate it with some heavy lifts and some investment in our grid. Yeah. So do you think that this, it, there will obviously be a higher demand for electricity on the grid by moving these trucks over? And do you have a sense right now, what percentage of, just call it drage, the heavy duty moves within California ports is electric versus combustion engine at this point? Do you have any, any sense of what that is? Yeah. I mean, it is minimal right now. We re really need our EV OEMs, our OEMs to build more electric yeah. trucks. There's 
there's probably less than 200 electric class eight trucks serving the three ports, the three main ports in California today. But there is 30 ish thousand serving the LA ports, uh, overall and and probably about eight to nine thousand serving the oakland port so only 200 of those are electric today there's it's a very small percentage so talk to me about the charging stations but what are the challenges uh you don't just you know create a socket and plug it into the to the network yeah what are the challenges what does it take to do this and do you have to go in knowing the demand you're going to need for the next year or can you, is once you're established, is it easy to add on to that? Is it modular or is it kind of a, you need to know the finished state when you start? Yeah, I mean, we're doing it a little bit modularly right now with height, but no, you should, when you start talking to the utility and utilities, your best partner in this, the person that you should talk to first. As a matter of fact, I was listening to your podcast with, uh, with Jim Filter from Schneider and he talked about it being a three-year process. So the first person you should touch is your t- utility, and they're going to tell you y- yay or nay. We can right, supply right. this amount of power, but it's it's energy development. It's uh it's the hard grind of being able to work with the utility, get the correct permitting, and get the uh, engineer procure and construct that depot in a timely manner. Um, that's why you know us with six sites currently under development that have been that we've been working on for over a year and a half kind of give us a leg up to somebody that's just about to start looking into this and call their utility today do you you think that this increased use of electrification of of trucks is going to drive for more demand of nuclear yeah that'll be interesting i mean north america has been pretty opposed to nuclear historically a lot of People are very nervous. Fukushima didn't help. Any- I blame Jackson Brown. Okay. No, no nukes. I mean, that it's all his fault. If you look yeah. at it, more people die from emissions and and coal and and that than do from anything with nuclear. But do you think yeah. from the tide with some because there's so it's it's a different industry. Yeah, I think that I think there's room for everything in terms of energy development, and I yeah. think nuclear is certainly on that list when it can be done in a safe manner, maybe in smaller nuclear right. plants that are less uh, dangerous to to a broader community. I think it makes a ton of sense. I also think that these trucks and batteries are going to end up being assets on the distribution grid. They're not all running all the time. So you're going to be able to uh, equalize the amount of power that's being pushed onto the grid from these trucks at times when the trucks aren't needing them. Well, school buses is a perfect example, sure. right? Those things sit dormant all summer long. Um, so, you know, those become an asset to the grid in order to uh, take care of those higher demand times in a hot summer day when everybody's turning on their energy. And I think you're going to see that continued uh, development of the grid and its intelligence. Your example of school bus is a great example because they yeah. have a set rhythm, right? And so, you know, in the evening, they are gonna they can charge. And that's usually late evening. You have... Electricity is a little cheaper for that. Yeah. Drage is a little different, and especially the heavy haul. Do you think, um, and so the drage move, typically you're going 50 miles, 10 miles sometimes, but it's short, and you're just trying to do as many turns as possible. That's right. There's an article recently in the Wall Street Journal that compared someone, just one anecdote, someone with a combustion engine could do four to five turns with a charging unit, electric, they were cut down to like two. 
How do you think this will affect the hours of service? Do you think this will reduce the efficiency of operations? Or was that, or is that just a, a one example? Yeah, I think that is one example. I think that you know these these guys are really smart. I'm talking to folks all the day. They're trying to optimize the utilization of these really expensive assets, and they're doing right. things like slip seating them so that they can make that truck work harder and earn more revenue. Charging speeds are becoming faster every single day. So you could see a slip seat situation with a short two hour break in between the two shifts. That truck could be running, you know, all day and all night with with that small accommodation. So I do think things are gonna change. I also saw that one of the terminals at the Port of LA at the turn of the year uh, created a green lane, which is zero emission trucks have in and out privileges. Um, So there's different things that are gonna help push the market. Uh, But yeah, operational efficiency by the smarter carriers is what's going to earn more revenue over these more expensive assets. And then demand. I mean, the, the, the shippers are beginning to ask for it. They're trying to tackle their level three emissions and the trucks from port to distribution center is kind of low hanging fruit for how to do that. So that the demand is going to help change it. But yeah, to answer your question, people are gonna have to think about the operational efficiency. It's a more expensive asset. How do I utilize it the best I can? I think you referenced um, um, my conversation with Jim Filter, and he mentioned something which I was shocked at, that the capital cost is 2 to 3x of a yeah. combustion engine. That that seemed really high, and I had to double check it a couple times with other sources. You're right. It's a very expensive asset. So why do you think this is happening now? Is the pressure coming from the shippers that is pushing it, or is it coming from regulatory, or where is it a combination of pressures? Yeah. I mean, it starts with regulatory. Right, advanced clean fleet, advanced clean truck, as we spoke about, that's what's forcing the market to begin to develop these trucks. But it's, you know, I mentioned I was in solar for 15 years before I made my way over into this industry, and it's not too dissimilar. In the early 2000s, California subsidized solar development. And, you know, to give you an idea of what that did, the first couple solar uh, projects I sold were 10 bucks a watt. By the time I left 13 years later, I was selling it for a dollar a watt. And that same thing's going to happen because we're putting concentration into uh, lithium-ion battery manufacturing. There's more manufacturing battery manufacturing plants popping up every single day. That's going to help drive down. And if you know, if if the big five-ish EV OEMs are only building you know one to three hundred trucks a year, but move that to thousands, that's going to bring the scale that we need to incubate this marketplace and drive down that cost of the truck. But Jim's exactly right. $150,000 diesel is about a $400,000, $450,000 electric truck. Yeah. So I'm curious about the solar um, because you're right. The price per watt has gone way down. Yeah. Is that technological improvements or is it manufacturing efficiencies or what is, what is the mix? Yeah, it's really both. Um, yeah, the, the efficiency of the panels that I first was, was selling were like 15% efficient for how they were able to turn light into power. By the time I left, they were 25% efficient. But more so, it's being able to produce more power, I mean, more panels at scale. And that's the same thing that we're going to have with lithium ion and other battery technologies is people are really investing in that marketplace. You're seeing those pop up all the time. I know there's been um, there's some discussion of uh, security, energy security. 
And in the solar panels, I know China dominated for a while. I don't know, do they still dominate on the solar manufacturing of solar panels or is that spread across the country or across the world? We have more development in North America than we ever did before. But no, China is still a big resource for us in both solar panels and battery manufacturing. I was driven into both these markets partly not only because I think it's smart technology and it's time that we do something a bit smarter, but also it is because of the independence. You know, I, I don't like being uh, at the beck and call of any oil producers. Even though we are we are the largest oil producer now. Yeah. And back to what we said before, which is I think there's room for all kinds of energy development in order to keep this market going. And that diversification of that is only going to help. So now the big gating factor for a lot of use of um, electrification are the batteries, especially in the trucks, because to have the power, it, it, you lose, uh, as the battery gets stronger, it gets heavier, you lose payload. That's right. Do you see that improving on the same, it's not going to be like a, you know, Gordon Moore's law where it improves every 18 months, it doubles. Do you see an improvement along those lines in battery capability? Absolutely. There, I, we're already seeing improvements just at these early stages in terms of the weight and efficiency of the battery. But you are losing, you know, eight to 10,000 pounds of payload when you go from a diesel truck to a battery electric truck. So that, that is a big different operational change they're having to deal with. But honestly, there is enough light loads coming in and out of the ports that that's not an excuse for why people shouldn't be doing it now. If, if you're a carrier running even just 20 trucks, it's highly likely that less than 10 of those are picking up a full load in terms of not being able to meet the requirements. I think Jim referenced it too. There is a small allowance, whereas 80,000 pounds is our gross weight on California highways. They allow you up to 82,000 pounds. Um, I think policy should maybe help and change that for certain corridors as well. But I mean, I think the message at the end of the day is let's not try to solve the hardest problem. This, you know, this truck isn't meant to go from LA to Vegas and it's not meant to carry the heaviest load. So let's concentrate on the lighter loads that like you said in Drayage are staying within 50, 60 miles of the port. There's plenty of that to be done. And with that, you know, we'll be able to grow and incubate this market so that the truck can become lighter, the battery can become more efficient, and then maybe that truck is running out to Vegas. Well, that's that's my next set of questions is uh, right now, um, the use of electric trucks at this scale, although some there are some Tesla, the semi-private, uh, there are the semis, uh, there's some pilots going on in Texas and different places, but generally California is the epicenter of using this, mainly drayage. Do you see it transferable? to uh, what's known as middle mile, the the longer haul truckload, where the average length of haul might be 500 miles to 600 miles. Do you see, or when do you see that electric vehicles will be able to make that jump? Yeah, I mean, 500 miles, Tesla already working with NACFI, uh, North, North America Freight Council Association, they're already claiming those types of distances. I haven't been able to see that. The joke in the marketplace is... Uh, they must be hauling chips for Frito-Lay. Yep. I, you know, again, I just don't think that we need to solve that problem today. Cause but do you think it's going to happen? Do you think it's going to get to that? Absolutely, yeah. And I think that there's other technologies out there that are trying to tackle that harder. Hydrogen, for instance, we're not there today. The truck's too expensive. Hydrogen isn't uh, available everywhere. But yeah, 
Absolutely. I think that that is well within, you know, a kind of 10 year time frame. And I think there's plenty of work today that can be done where we don't have to, you know, where we can incubate all of this technology so that we can get there. Yeah. So we talked about, you know, formal mobility working on electric vehicles. Do you look, do you work on other zero emission vehicles? Do you work in hydrogen or are you mainly focused on electric battery powered? Yeah, no, we're, we're really focused on battery electric. We're, we're in the now business. And right now we see battery electric vehicles being able to serve a massive part of the marketplace readily available. We know how to develop energy from the grid. I'm going to leave hydrogen to the hydrogen folks and I wish them the best of luck to be able to do that yeah. in an efficient manner. But no, we're, we're BEV, 100%. There was a company, I, I think it's long gone, called maybe A Better World. Do you remember this? Where they did batteries for cars, but it was a swap. It was a battery swap. Yeah, I think it was Better Fleet maybe. I do remember that. I think it was only passenger cars. I want to say it was an Israeli company, but they, they were doing something in San Francisco. I don't think it worked, but it seems like the industry has moved from battery swapping to battery recharging. Is that a fair statement? It's a fair statement. I think people were really nervous and, and that company I do think went under. Um, people were really nervous that you don't bolt that battery on the bottom of the vehicle the right way. It drops off and it's a, it's a hazard on the freeway. I did recently see somebody who the way the Class A truck is built, that it was being put on top of the overall chassis of the truck. So you couldn't really have it drop out, right? So it would be sitting behind the cab in that area. And, you know, at least made me raise my eyebrows and think that that's an interesting thought. Um, but where you have folks developing megawatt charging, that's going to drive down this fueling time to less than a half hour over the next couple years. It's really on the battery side, the battery management side saying, you know, I'm heating up too fast. You're charging me too fast. But I think technically that's a, that's a hurdle that we're going to be able to overcome. I'd be interested to learn more about battery swapping on these class A trucks as, as that's developed. And I saw a company recently um, kind of bringing that back to the marketplace. So right now it's, it's in California and I think you're right. I don't think we're going to see middle mile moves anytime soon because that the charging network it's hard enough in in one area right it gets harder when you look at the whole larger network out and that's something that's plaguing both electronic electric vehicle passenger cars as well as trucks but what about transferring out of california do you see this happening at other ports port of houston port of new york new jersey savannah do you see what do you think is stopping the adoption of ev trucks at for drage at those locations you know, I don't think it's being stopped. I mean, California is definitely the the center of all of this right now, uh, ad adopting these rules sooner than other folks. But I believe 11 other states have now signed on to adopt both advanced clean fleet and advanced clean truck. We've got our eyes on quite a few to include Washington as being pretty progressive in this area. Port of Tacoma and Seattle are really interested in this. I think you're going to see it roll out probably quicker than folks expect, especially once they see other people deploying it successfully. Driver retention's tough in this marketplace. The drivers move around, and I'll tell you what, we I haven't spoken to a single person that's driven one of these trucks who didn't come away going, well, that was a really awesome experience. I, I, you know, I didn't smell the diesel. 
you have one pedal driving so it's it's much more easy on the body from instead of shifting there's so much technology in these trucks they're way safer there's cameras there's alarms there's sensors i recently got a rivian i'd never had an electric vehicle myself and it's hard for me to imagine buying another combustion engine vehicle just for my family. The experience yeah. has been so awesome. Well, you're in Texas. There are no hills and you get snow once every 10 years. So, but I, I agree. I drove, I have a friend who has a Tesla and I drove it and I suddenly went, was going 80 miles an hour without even thinking about it. It's like, whoa, I better, <laughs> better slow this down. Yeah, absolutely. The The amount of torque and pickup, which bringing it back to drainage is, is something that these guys are also really attracted to is like, you know, I was able to get up to speed hauling a really heavy load in this electric truck much, much more quickly than I would be able to in my diesel. So, uh, yeah, I don't think, I think people love them when they start driving them. And I think driver retention is going to be another you know, one of a, quite a few reasons that these trucking companies are like, well, I got to get the best truck. These guys want to drive these cool electric trucks. Yeah, it's funny. We did a project for a large um, office supply company up here years ago where they wanted to electrify their last mile delivery, which is much easier, right? Smaller vans, all that kind of stuff. And there was huge resistance from drivers. Yeah. Until they drove it. Yeah. Then you couldn't pull it out of their dead hands, right? They said, I'm, never, I'm not going back for exactly what you said. It's you know, it's easy, it's quiet, there's no fumes, it just makes life easier. So my question to you is, what other benefits do you see by having, by electrifying the fleet? Um, you mentioned driver retention's a little easier, obviously um, low fuel costs, um, but we'll talk about the offset of electricity costs. What other benefits do you see? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest benefits and what I'm talking to you about my, with my customers every day and helping them with is, growing your business, right? Like nobody's really growing their business in drayage right now. Everybody is just trying to stay alive. The market has got so slow, but we're literally, we, you know, we do a fair amount of marketing, do some podcasts and otherwise I get inbound calls from big shippers all the time going, Hey, where, where are your electric truck assets? So like, we're really in 2024 and beyond, we're really trying to tackle these level three emissions. Who, who has these trucks? And Embarrassingly, I, you know, I can only point them to, you know, 50, 60 trucks out in the marketplace. That, that, that capacity is going to be consumed in no time at all. So you're going to see supply and demand um, get tipped to where these guys that do have the zero emissions trucks are grabbing this business from the, the bigger shippers that are pushing in this direction and want to meet their own carbon emission goals. Yeah, a lot of shippers have stated a lot of goals, whether it's zero emission, and some have said zero historical cumulative emissions, which I, that's crazy talk to go back to that. But it'd be interesting to see. So you, you've talked about going beyond scope one, two, and three. Scope three is the big challenge, right? Where it's not my direct assets. So is that the main selling point that you have now to sell to a carrier, say this makes you more attractive to the shipper? Or is it more financial for the carrier? What what argument is working better for you at this point? Yeah. I mean, very few of my customers are doing it just because it's the right thing. Let's be honest. They're, they, you know, they, they're running a business. They're trying to make money. It What's driving it right now is it's a subsidized market. So California and the federal government are helping subsidize the cost of both the charging and the truck. 
And that's really helping to drive this market today. And then it is, you know, the demand from the shipper, their customer saying, you know, we want access to zero emission truck moves. That's really, that's what really moves it. I mean, these guys, if, if, if the bigger shippers were telling them they only wanted to move their stuff on camels, they would probably go out and buy camels, right? But they're not. They're telling them they want zero emissions and these trucks are coming online. I think that that's the biggest driver is just supply and demand of people just asking for these zero emission moves. Great point. Another project that we did up here was to see, do people tend to buy organic or you know socially acceptable coffee, right? Where it's, uh, you know, not, not using child labor, things along those lines. And they found in polls, everyone is all for it, but no one is willing to pay for it. Yeah. And so the same thing, did you find the same thing here? They want to have zero emissions trucks, but they want it to be at the same price. Or are you seeing a, a more of a tolerance or willingness to pay? Yeah, Chris, that was one of my frustrations early on, right? I've been, I've been pitching this now for over two years and early it was frustrating. I'm like, I hear these guys standing on their soapbox and saying they want it, but they're not paying for it. I, I think the tide is turning a little bit now. I'm getting calls from even steamship lines and big 3PLs who are giving me the signal that the expectation from the shipper is that it is going to cost 20, 25% more to move their goods via zero emissions. And I think that with the operational efficiency that we were talking about, having to think a little bit harder about how you run this truck. Do you slip seat it? Do you run two shifts? I think those two things are going to allow people to not only grow their business, but make more money than they were on their diesel truck. So the goal is uh, 2024, you cannot register any new non-zero emission trucks to CARB, right? The California is a regulatory board or what is? Uh, California Air Resources Board is who's driving this. Yep. So that's now, and then it's in 2035 where they all, all operations have to be. So they, we have about 11 years. Yeah. It's 2036, but yeah, you're right. And it'll be kind of a step down. So the Vance clean fleet. So, you know, your friend Jim at Schneider, he will have percentage based goals, 5%, 7%, 10% through the years until he meets that 100%. The guys who are running trucks right now, diesel, they're not just kicking them off. They're just not able to enter the drayage registry as of January 1. They do. They are grandfathered in for 18 years or 800,000 miles. Okay. So they've got a, you know, if you bought a truck and registered it before January 1st, you've got a nice long ramp. I imagine there was a little bit of a surge the last six months to get, a, get them in. Yeah. There was more combustion engine sales in the quarter one of 23 than there probably was in the three prior years, uh, which actually put them in an interesting position too, because it was right as the freight market was slowing down. So now right, they have to right. carry in all these expensive assets with capacity that they don't necessarily need. So they're having to make these decisions right now, because if they get rid of that truck, sell it into another state where it can still run, and then capacity comes back in Q2, their only option is going to be a zero emissions truck. So it, it's, I really feel for the carriers, especially the smaller guys who are being put in this pinch. You know, when I came on, it was AB5. They fought their way around that. They all went and got their own uh, license, their carrier license. They were able to continue operating. And, and now, you know, 
everybody was making money hand over fist during COVID because we were all sitting on our couch ordering stuff from Amazon, our computers, and then boom, everything slowed down, interest rates went up. So we're really trying to create opportunity to help solve this problem for you know the bigger carriers, your friend Jim, but as well as these smaller carriers. And I feel for these guys, but I think we can do it in a way between the subsidies and the way we're designing our network where they can grow their business and and maybe in a unique way that the bigger carriers just can't because of what I said earlier. There's, there's a subsidy through the California Resources Board that will pay for 90% of the cost of that truck. If you're a small carrier, under 20 trucks in your fleet and less than $15 million in revenue, they're really subsidizing that vehicle for you. And so I think if I was a massive carrier, I would contract a lot of that business when my shipper saying I want zero emissions out to these smaller guys because they're the ones that are getting their truck paid for. So I don't think it's going to leave the little guy behind. It's a very interesting time in this marketplace. It's, it's, it's been wild. The trucking industry across the world, not just Drage, across the U.S. Is, has a really long tail. Really yeah. long tail because it's it's the entrepreneur's path for blue collar. You, all you need to create a truckload trucking company is a truck and a phone, pretty much a smartphone. Right. Um, there's very little barriers to entry or exit. So that you see a lot of those. And drayage, the nice thing about drayage, you don't you can get home every night. You're not a long haul trucker, right? You generally you're not going to go more than a hundred miles, maybe. Um. So you're staying local for that. Let me ask you last couple questions. Sure. What do you think are the biggest hurdles for widespread EV adoption for drainage? What, what's what's stopping you from going to 20% in the next year, 50% sooner, rather than the slower regulatory pace? It's the infrastructure. You know, it's it's hard to go buy one of these $450,000 trucks if you can't, you know, drive your normal route and see a place that you can charge it. And, and that, so that's why Forum is tackling that part of the need is, we need people to be able to see a charging depot out in the IE in California and down at the port at Port of Long Beach and Oakland and out in Stockton. If they if they know that they have a place where they can serve their truck, get it charged up, I think you're going to see adoption happen more quickly. Uh, the second thing is definitely the cost of this vehicle. As the OEMs build more of these vehicles, more battery uh, manufacturing plants come online, it will drive down the cost of the vehicle, uh, and then just the the market in general. We need a pickup in the freight market so that they have the confidence when they invest in these expensive assets that they're going to be utilized. Let me ask a question about the infrastructure, because that's a really interesting chicken and the egg argument, right? You're not going to get the trucks until the infrastructure is out there, but you're not going to build the infrastructure unless the demand is out there. Are there subsidies out there for companies like yours to build that infrastructure? Or are you going out? Are you uh, are you eating all the risk? So you build the network out, and then you hope the demand for it appears. Great question, and it is absolutely chicken and egg, right? So we are we do bear uh, some of that risk, leaning forward on the infrastructure, looking at the market, understanding what supply and demand is. When we raised our Series A led by CBRE. We also raised a joint venture $400 million infrastructure fund. And that's what we draw from when we're building these depots. And a depot's you know, 10 to $15 million investment. So we'd have ran through our, our uh, G&A money if we were just to spend our own capital on that. 
So yeah, we are bearing some risk, leaning forward, putting these depots in these uh, strategic locations, but we do see the demand that's going to ask for the the charging that we're building. So it's a measured risk that we're willing to take in order to help these guys get the infrastructure they need to meet the requirements of state of California. Yeah, it makes sense that you're partnered up with a uh, commercial development company, CBRE, because I imagine electric vehicles have a different type of, the facilities need to be a little different. I, I imagine the turning radius and all that is about the same. I don't think the dimensions change because that's that's a whole nother change for a height and weight of trucks. That's a, that takes decades to change those things. But do they have, do they have dramatic requirement differences for power, I would assume? Are there any other differences for the development of, of, of a hub or a facility? Yeah, I think you're going to see people be more and more intelligent about the new warehouses that they build, as knowing that they have access to the amount of power that they need in order to be able to put in charging for the transportation of you know whatever class of vehicle serves those warehouses. That's definitely going to be a change in future development in warehousing, for sure. I think you hit the nail on the head there. One last question. A lot of people, they talk about EV and they think AV, right? Autonomous vehicles. Do you have anything to do with the AV side of things, your company, or are you mainly focused on the human but using electric vehicles? Yeah, no. I mean, they are at all the same trade shows. I'll be at Manifest next month. I think I'll see those folks there. there. You'll be there as well. We should uh, grab a beer. They are there. Autonomous vehicles, I think, are in this marketplace are a little futuristic. They, they will be new technologies. They will be electric. Uh, so yeah, I'll charge them when they become available. But you know, I don't think there's a direct threat to our truckers today or even in the next five or six years. You just can't put no driver behind something pulling 82,000 pounds down our highways today. Well, the interesting thing is if you look at EV adoption, you're hitting the sweet spot, right? It's the shorter drayage uh, moves, last mile, first mile from the port to the port. That's right. Um, and that's the first adoption path for EVs. It's the last path for autonomous vehicles. Autonomous will go middle mile, middle of nowhere, hub to hub. So yeah. it's, it, the adoption paths are, are almost mirror images of each other. Yeah. I mean, inside the terminal, that makes a ton of sense to me, right? And and we've been seeing autonomous vehicles in farming for, I don't even know how long, 20 years, right? Farming, mining, yep. Any, any controlled area, but you don't see them in downtown San Francisco anymore. Like, you know, I was there two weeks ago and there's still a couple co- companies operating, but you're right. They had an accident. Can't remember who it was and they got pulled off the road. But every so often, one of my kids would point to one and like, there's no driver in that car. It's wild. But they're moving at slow rates of speed, you know, very short distances. It's different than, again, Pull one of these very heavy tractors down the road with uh, 80,000 pounds of cargo behind them on the 710 freeway in LA during traffic. I don't think that's tomorrow. That's uh, no, still pretty futuristic for me. Yeah, I agree with you there. Well, Rob, thanks so much. I really enjoyed talking with you again. This is an area that I've, I know very little about and I'm learning more about it, but it's something that anyone in this industry is going to start facing and start being prepared for to see how this fits into your network and what what you will do with this new technology. So thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. I appreciate your interest in what we're doing over here. And thanks for having me. I look forward to seeing you in Manifest. All right. All right. So everyone stay tuned for the Truckload Market Update.
This is the truckload market update for 25 January 2024. For dry van, we saw that the active rates dropped by 0.7%. The change in spot rates was at negative 0.9%. And the replacement rates are at a negative 5.2%, meaning new contract rates coming in are 5% lower than the rates they're replacing. For temp control, we're seeing the active rates drop 2.2%, spot rates drop 0.6%, and the replacement rates are at negative 4.7%. For intermodal, we saw a slight increase in active rates by 0.1%, so just barely, and a change in spot rates dropping about 1.4%. And the replacement rates for intermodal are negative 1.2%. Flatbed, the active rates dropped 1%. The spot rates barely moved. They dropped a little bit, like 0.1%. And the replacement rates are negative 12.8%. So overall, what we're seeing is that all modes but intermodal had slight drops in both contract and spot rates. It's just intermodal just had a slightly increase in the active contract rates of 0.1%. Replacement rates for all modes stayed negative, with the biggest one being flatbed, peaking at negative 12%. I'm sure that's a little bit of a flux. Remember, these new rate differentials or the replacement rates are very chaotic initially. They settle down after a couple of weeks. So I expect next time we do this, it'll be a little tighter. But this is showing some big decrease in the flatbed replacement rates. Well, one thing that we notice is the gap between spot and contract rate continues to fall. It's at its lowest point in over a year for both dry van and temp control at 15 cents and 9 cents uh, respectively per mile. And again, diesel prices continue to hover in the $3.84.85 range. This is about 76 cents per gallon cheaper than it was a year ago. All right. So that concludes this week's truckload market update. Thanks. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Freight Find. The Freight Find podcast is hosted by myself, Chris Kaplis, and is produced and edited by DATIQ. For more information or to hear previous episodes, please visit our website at dat.com slash podcasts. You can subscribe to the Freight Find wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, be sure to give us a review. As always, if you have any feedback or questions about what you've heard on the Freight Vine or suggestions for what you'd like to hear in the future, send an email to me at chris.caplis at dat.com. Finally, from all of us at the Freight Vine, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something new.